Rabita. Allahu Akbar. Tashayyar. There it is. You see that? The username Tashayyar just joined. How about Toba? <laughs> the OG Money has joined. All right. Camellia. All sorts of different people today. Toronto Joe. Mm, all sorts of people. Let's see what we got on YouTube. Click, click, click. A Zader? Oh. A Zader joins. Noah, Dino from the Czech Republic. I think he's, at, he's from the Czech Republic, right? Bosnia. Inshallah. Mm. Anissa, Sophia. This is the final stream before we take a break. And uh, we will not have a stream tomorrow, nor the entirety of next week. Okay? Then we're back for a week, and then we do, we're back for like a week and a half. And then we don't have a stream for another week and a half. So as I had said earlier, August is a spotty month. We're back and forth in the month of August for this reason. Because it's a time where people do all their traveling and everything. Ismail says, here we go. This, is this episode is about to get political. Well, it's nothing but facts. We're just going to tell you the facts as we, and we just assess our methodology first. And our methodology on this is I, I love to use uh, Al-Bidai wa Nihaya. Ibn Kathir is a great historian, right? And a historian is a different job function than, let's say, it's, it's a different subject altogether. Historians, it, he has a historian aspect of him, then he has a tafsir and hadith scholar aspect of him, and he has the aqidah and fiqh aspect of him when it comes to his history he's one of the those who have gathered so much history and the bar for history is a lot less than the bar for other subjects such as hadith you would accept a historical narration even about the prophet or about the seerah far with far more ease than a ruling narration there are hadiths that have rulings that have implications the more the hadith has implications about deen and dunya the higher the bar but if there are no implications regarding deen or dunya then there's it you can use it a lot more you could just narrate it and that's why imam ahmed said most narrations about akhirul zaman okay are weak because there's no implication there's nothing you're going to do it's just something that this will happen, right? Likewise, a lot of the historical uh, hadiths about the sons of Nuh, for example, it's not something that the hadith scholars have to follow up on, right? So if I have to follow up on something, it's going to, as hadith scholars of the past, it's going to be the hadith that impacts my daily life and my deen. If it's merely just a story of history, then it's not so necessary, right? Oops. 
So that's why uh, the bar for history is a lot lower than, the, and the bar for signs of the end of time is also a bit lower than the bar for aqidah and fiqh. I hope that's understood by everyone. Today we're going to talk about Muharram, so we'll begin. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salam ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. Welcome everybody to the Safina Society, nothing but facts live stream. Jawad, give a hand. Jawad, that's your mic. Ayub, that's your mic. You guys are on. We have two guests. On my left is Jawad. I don't know if I could tell people a lot about you, but I will anyway. He's a pilot. And he's an IT programmer, and he's got an app, okay? He's got one of those apps that, to be honest with you, it really is good. Like most apps, you tell the guy it's good out of manners. This is an app that could help you find, like, HVAC, like jobs, gigs. But you can talk, video conference, and pay them all on the app. So you find them on the app. This is not a paid advertisement, just a friend. A young Taliban. Like you're a Taliban now, right? He's a Taliban? Well, we're making you a Taliban. You are a Taliban. It's an app where you can find the service that you need based on your zip code. You can call the guy, text the guy, video conference with the guy, video call with the guy, and pay the guy all in one. And the contract is there. All in one app. Really easy to use. But they're still populating. Should I tell the name of the app or not yet? Is it out yet or no? Is the audience this is a focus group. No, mostly in England. Uh, so perhaps maybe Not yet. Because he has to, you have to agree with these vendors, right? Yeah. They got to agree. And they have no loss, right? They're not losing yeah, anything. Literally, it's free for everyone right now. It's free for everyone right now, yeah. So, uh, like a drug, basically. They give it to you for free until you get addicted. And then they charge you, right? <laughs> it's, a, it's a beautiful app. It's a ver- See, this is what I like. It's literally got two boxes. What do you want and what's your zip code? That's it. That's all you do. And then you find someone you could text that person and without giving your phone number out. You could say, hey, Mr. Plumber, my sink broke. Hey, Mr. HVAC, uh, we have a bad smell coming out of my, we have gas smell, whatever. So, and that, it's a really great idea, okay? If it's free, you are the product. Of course, Adi. Yeah. You are the product. Well, your transaction with the other guy is going to be, obviously, the middleman has to get something. So that's what it is. So you're not the product in the sense that he's not going to be collecting your data and selling it, right? So that's where it's more you are the product is correct when um, they collect, take your data and sell it. But he's not doing that. Anyway, it's good to see a Muslim with an initiative to start his own business. And, and it, it is a really easy, user-friendly uh, product uh, or app that hopefully, I would say, you need another six, seven months before you get tons of vendors to the point that everyone can use it in the country, right? Yeah, six, seven months, hopefully sooner. <laughs> yeah, hopefully We're sooner. To make it better in the okay, so bring your mic close to you to talk. And then we have Ayub here. He does not yet have a company. Inshallah, in the future, he'll have a company. Okay. Uh, today's topic is Muharram. The month of Muharram has always been a month in which the Arabs fast on the 10th, even in Jahiliyyah. They fasted on the 10th, except that they had lost the reason why. They had, they had forgotten why they fast on the 10th. So, 
it is said that on the 10th of Muharram, a number of things occurred. And notice that I said, it is said, which means it's not a firm, cut and dry, that all of these things happened, such as the end of the flood. When Sayyidina Nuh came off the ark, it is said, was the 10th of Muharram. What we do know for facts from the Prophet Sallallahu as a as a transmitted religious fact, because the Prophet accepted it from the Jews, which is that Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam was saved from the Pharaoh. They crossed the crossing of the Red Sea, happened on the 10th of Muharram. Because it's called the 10th of Muharram, it's called Ashura, which derives from the word Ashura. Now notice how the Prophet so readily accepted the statement of the Jews that Sayyidina Musa was saved from the Pharaoh on the 10th of Muharram. Because when the Prophet arrived at Medina, he found them fasting the 10th of Muharram. So he knew, we Quraysh fast on the 10th of Muharram. So why are you fasting? Right? He said, they said, we are fasting because Sayyidina Musa salam, was saved from the Pharaoh. So he, the Prophet said, we are more worthy of Musa. And if Musa came down, who would he come to? The Muslims or you? No, he would come to the Muslims because this is what is the updated and correct belief. Sayyidina Musa would not have approved of what you all did to the Virgin Mary or to Sayyidina Isa bin Maryam and now to the latest Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So, نَحْنُ أَوْلَى Musa. Therefore, we will fast two days to be different from you. So we're accepting it, but we have to be different. So sometimes you may accept something from a non-believer, but you're going to be different. You have to make it distinct. It, different doesn't mean foreign. It doesn't mean you walk amongst people looking so crazy and out of whack. That's foreign. No, but the Prophet wanted to be distinct. In every single thing that the Prophet found good, that other people were doing, he took it and he made it a little bit different. He adapted it a little bit, made it different. Yeah, the Jews and Christians prayed with their eyes closed. Prophet said, pray with your eyes open. They took their shoes off in Salah. He said, pray with your shoes on. Okay, The Jews would pray like this, according to one of the theories of Qabd. The Jews would pray like this, so the Prophet made some of his prayers with his arms down. That's one of the sayings of why the Madakiyah hope pray with their arm down, or why the first few generations, they had that readily amongst them, praying with the arms down, to be different from the Jews. Everything. Uh, the Jews have a big beard and big mustache. The prophets kept the beard and trimmed the mustache. The Jews used to grow long hair in front of the ears. He used, the prophet grew long hair behind the ears. The braids, sorry. They used to braid their hair and put it above the ears, like this. The prophet, sallallahu also braided hair and said, put it behind the ears. Okay? And that's how he used to braid his hair. Why would they braid the hair? In war. Because when you go to war, you can't have your hair all over the place. So you braid your hair. Especially in war. It could be outside of war, but in, in war too. Especially in war. So that is why it is a sunnah for us. Now this month of Muharram, these two days of fasting used to be obligatory. And Ramadan was sunnah. Then the ruling on them changed. Okay, This became fard. Uh, Ramadan became Fard and Ashura became a Sunnah. Ashura is a lesser Sunnah than Arafah, Yom Arafah. Yom Arafah is Sunnah Mu'akkada. It's a very, very important Sunnah. And the fast of Ashura is not at the same strength and weight of the fast of Arafah.
you may also fast the 10th and the 11th. Now, if you only have the occasion to fast on the 10th, but you cannot fast on the 9th or the 11th, it's still acceptable for you, right? But you've missed off what is preferable. So that's the summary of the month of Muharram. What else about the, this, this month? It is said, and it is a practice of the Shia and the practice of some Sunnis who live with Shias, like in Pakistan and Iraq. The Arab country that has mixed of Sunnis and Shias are Iraq and Lebanon. And the subcontinental country is Pakistan. So sometimes the Sunnis may have adapted certain things with Shia. Amongst them is that there should never be a celebration in the month of Muharram. You don't get married in Muharram. That's one of their practices. Why? It's a dis- disrespectful to Ahlul Bayt. Because the Prophet sallallahu, uh, because as we're going to read now, that Sayyidina al-Husayn ibn Ali, Sayyidina al-Husayn son of Sayyidina Ali, he was, of course, uh, assassinated, killed, and martyred in the month of uh, Muharram. So they don't have any weddings in the month of Muharram. Now, we don't have such a rule, and it's not uh, for us to make such a rule, to discourage Marriage in our religion is, yes, there's a walima to it. And the walima is a celebration and it's happiness. But what we have is Ahlul Sunnah is a recognition of what happened in Karbala, but also a recognition that martyrdom is an honor. Right? Yes, it's, it's completely sad what happened. No one's going to read this and not be moved by what happened to Ahlul Bayt. But at the same time, these people, these uh, uh, the Yazid and the other people that we're going to talk about here, Ibn Ziyad, they're, they're not autonomous creatures. This is the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to show the Muslims the degree by which they should sacrifice for their religion. If the grandson of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he put such an effort, while well, he's the grandson of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, it's setting an example for us. There are many prophets before who also were killed, such as Sayyidina Yahya. How was he killed? Beheaded. A gruesome killing. Sayyidina Isa, they tried to crucify him, and Allah elevated him, raised him up. Sayyidina Nuh was rejected for 950 years of da'wah, and only a handful of followers that could fit on one ship, one ark. Many, many prophets before and many Sahaba, such as Ammar ibn Yasir, his father and mother, Yasir and Sumayyah, viciously martyred and killed. So it's sad. Yet at the same time, the reward that's awaiting them, and in which they are already in, is far supersedes this, what they lost in this life. So that's why, in places like Egypt, Muharram is a celebration. They're not celebrating the other side. They're not celebrating because they're happy that this happened. They're celebrating because they know these people are in Naim. They're in the they're in the blessing. They're they're in the pleasure of the Barzakh. Khalas, it happened. But they passed it. And they're in a pleasure of Barzakh. And that's why if you go into places like Turkey, like Egypt, I don't know about Pakistan. But around the mosque of Al Hussein in Egypt, there's lights everywhere. And they call it Mulad al-Husayn, which is basically they recite these commemorations, probably do some bid'ah too. We have to admit that, right? Because we're not 
up for that. We're not all about that. But the spirit of the commemoration and the recitations of what happened, that's mashru'a. In Pakistan, how do they do it? Into the mic. Bring, pull that mic real close to your mouth. Pull it, oh, you got all those joints, yeah. No, I just want to say like, What do they do? Uh, closer, spread, closer. We kind of spread sweets in Pakistan. So you have yeah. like rulsa and these sweet drinks that you can kind of like spread out. Uh, it, and also like sweets and drinks. These Ahl al-Bayt that we're about to read about, they underwent one of the worst 10 days, more than that, that a hum- any group of people can ever endure of deprivation of water, of an unknown fate, of being completely outnumbered. But that 10 days is over. They passed their test and they earned their paradise. Being now in the barzakh, of course, paradise with Qiyamah hasn't come yet, but in the barzakh, Allah has made a paradise in the barzakh. Meaning, the Prophet said that when a mu'min goes down into his grave, that plot of grave opens up to become as if it is a small garden of paradise. That's where they are right now. What are you crying about 1,500 years later? They're in paradise. Take the lesson. Of course, the moment you read this, you're going to feel extremely sad about it if you're a human being. So, that is the way that the Muslims approach the month of Muharram. It is a month in which Sayyidina Musa was saved from Fir'aun and Sayyidina Hussein also attacked aggressive. He fought an oppressor who should not have been the imam of the Muslims. In other words, he's not worthy of being imam of the Muslims. And he put his entire family at risk. Uh, in other words, he was willing to suffer everything required to remove this person from being the ruler of the Muslims. And he said, if the family, I think it was, I can't remember who said it, but if we have an ummah, where a man who is a drunkard and a womanizer and doesn't pray becomes the khalifa, and nobody does anything, then there's no good in all of you. There's no good in any of you. Right? He did the fard kifaya, the, the communal obligation upon the ummah, of standing up to this person who should not have, this fasiq, Yazid ibn Muawiyah, who should not have been, who is not worthy, we should say, of being the Khalifa. So about Al-Hassan and Hussein, Sayyidina Al-Hassan and Hussein, they are the two sons of the Prophet ﷺ, and there was actually a third, Muhsin. Muhsin was born, and he died in infancy. Each one of these, the Sayyidina Ali wanted to name him Harb, war. He wanted to name his son Harb. It's a popular Shia name in Lebanon. Harb. Because Sayyidina Ali wanted to name that. Yet the Prophet ﷺ took an example from Sayyidina um, uh, Harun. Because the, the Prophet ﷺ said, the likeness of me to you is the likeness of Moses and Aaron. Musa is the great prophet, but he doesn't have the lineage. He doesn't have any boys. He had four girls. What did the Prophet Muhammad have? Four girls. Harun salam was the assistant of Musa salam, And he was a prophet. And the lineage went through him. 
The lineage went from Harun. Harun had a number of sons. Amongst those sons was Lawi. Lawi also, which we call uh, in English, Levi, which is uh, the most popular manifestation of that is Levi's genes. Levi. Levi or Levi. Levi or Lawa, Arabic Lawa, it's become Latinized as Levi. The Levites produced the scholars and the prophets. So Sayyidina Dawood he's a lineage from the lineage of Harun. Sayyidina Isa from the lineage of Harun. Okay? So Harun is the one who will carry on the lineage of this family. In the same way, the Prophet said, Oh Ali, you are the likeness of Musa, so, the likeness of me and you is the likeness of Harun to Musa, except that you are not a Nabi. Of course, Harun is a prophet. You're not a prophet. So, that being the case, the Prophet ﷺ named the sons of uh, Sayyidina Ali based upon what Harun named. So, Harun, Harun had named the Hebrew name for beautiful, small, beautiful. And then the maker of beauty. In Hebrew, the Prophet also named the sons of Ali, Hassan, Hussein, and Muhsin. So he imitated. Lawa or Levi, I'm not sure if that is actually the direct son of Harun or the grandson. It may have been the grandson. Where the lineages came back down to Levi, and then they spread out again. Lawa. In the Arabic books, it's Lam, Alif, Waw, and then Alif Maqsura. Okay, so again, Sayyidina Ali, when Hussein was born, about a year and a half after Hassan, he wanted to name him Harb. The Prophet said, no, his name is Hussein. So Allah says in the Quran, those are the ones, the past prophets that we've guided. So take an example from their guidance. Those are the people Allah guided. So take an example from their guidance. Therefore, the Prophet imitated or followed in the footsteps of Harun alayhi salam, naming his sons, uh, his grandsons like that. So they became Hassan, Hussein, and Muhsin. And these boys, uh, uh, Hassan and Hussein, were famous because the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam allowed them to come up to him during salah, during the khutbah, and to climb on his back and to play with him. He gave them so much love in public in front of everybody he gave them this love okay. there's a wisdom for this right there's a wisdom for why the prophet said loved them in public showed affection to them in public it's because in the future they're going to need to be supported okay or people should be will be tested by them they'll be tested by them they're going to go and take an, an action that is the right action but people will be confused by it and they'll have many enemies the Prophet loving them publicly and openly was for them, for the people, to know we should support them. And the Prophet ﷺ made an announcement for them. He said, Hassan and Hussein are the chiefs of the people of Jannah, of the youth of Jannah. What does that mean? Aren't we all youth in Jannah? So on one interpretation, they're the chiefs of everybody in Jannah. Because everyone's a youth in Jannah. The other meaning is that they're the chiefs of everyone who dies as a youth. So the people who die as a youth in paradise, uh, and go to paradise, he's their, uh, their chiefs. Okay. And the Prophet ﷺ said to Hassan, he's a, he's a chief. He's a Sayyid. He's a Sayyid. 
what is a Sayyid? A Sayyid means a chief. Top of the top of the clan. That's a foreshadowing. Because this son is going to abdicate the Khilafah. He is going to receive the Khilafah. He's going to become the Khalifa. Then he's going to see that there are there's a civil war in the Ummah, and the only way to end this civil war is to remove the Khilafah, abdicate, take it, give it away to the other party. That's the only way to save the life of all these Muslims. And Hassan calculated, and this exactly is what happened. When Sayyidina Ali was killed, Sayyidina Hassan became the Khalifa. At the time, the Syrian army, the Syrian Muslims, were, ref- were refusing to respect the rule of Sayyidina Ali. When I say Syrians, I mean the Arabs who went to Syria. The Syrians made a pact with the Egyptians. In other words, the Arabs that were in Egypt. So now you have Syria and Egypt against Iraq and the rest of the Ummah. At the time, the Khilafah was in Iraq, Kufa. Sayyidina al-Hassan calculated, if we have a war, a civil war between these two groups, there are enemies of Islam waiting and watching for us to weaken. So the entire Ummah is at risk. So someone has to put down the civil war and end the civil strife. And Sayyidina al-Hassan decided, and he fulfilled the prophecy of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that this son of his, سَيُسْلِحُ بَيْنَ فِئَتَيْنِ عَظِيمَتَيْنِ مِنَ الْمُسْلِمِينَ He will rectify between two massive groups of Muslims. And he did that by meeting Muawiyah, Sayyidina Muawiyah the Sahabi, and giving him the Khilaf. And then resigning himself back to Medina, to live in Medina. To pray in the Masjid and teach Hadith there. Teach Quran and Hadith in the Masjid. And people blamed him. They said, why don't you fight? Why don't you give it up? He lived his life, the people blaming him, putting him down. That's why the Prophet ﷺ said, Inna ibni hadha sayyid. This son of mine, he's a chief. What did the ulama say? They said, even as he abdicated, he's the chief of the ummah. Based on that hadith, right? Based on that hadith, he's the chief of the ummah, even in his case of abdication. So what happens? He gets poisoned. And he's killed. So now, if you want to see Allah Ta'ala's verse in Surah Al-Ahzab, that Allah has willed for Ahl al-Bayt in general and the five in specific Sayyidina Fatima, Ali, Hassan, Hussein and, and the Prophet these are called Ahl al-Kisa why is that? because when this verse was revealed that Allah wills to purify you from all rijis which is shirk and to purify your hearts completely from all uh, uh, anything that is impure and to purify your deen and to purify your record on the Yom Al-Qiyamah. That is generally to Ahlul Bayt, but specifically to these five, the Prophet wrapped his cloak around them, and they said, oh Allah, this is my Ahlul Bayt. In other words, so that, when he did that, it guaranteed they will be purified. There will be nothing against them on the Day of Judgment. So, Sayyidina Ali, let's look at the fate. Sayyidina Fatima, when did she die? Six months after the Prophet wasallam. Did she live a long life? No. She lived a short life. She died young. Next. 
Sayyidina, Sayyidina Ali killed by being stabbed in the head. Next, Sayyidina Al-Hasan poisoned. Next, Sayyidina Al-Hussein killed, martyred. The Prophet ﷺ did not care for his family to have this Hayat al-Dunya. He did not want them having this Hayat al-Dunya. He wanted that, what is this? Khairat? Spoils of war? MashaAllah. Hidden grounds too. Speaking of Hayat al-Dunya. <laughs> the Prophet ﷺ did not want any of that for them. In their lifetime, Sayyidina Fatima and Sayyidina Ali were very poor. So poor that that Sayyidah Fatima went to ask the Prophet ﷺ for a helper, a servant. Oh, Messenger of Allah, so much spoils of war is coming in. So many uh, 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 people are now coming in as servants. Can I have one servant, please? A helper, a little girl to help me, something. The Prophet ﷺ said, I will give you something better. He was never harsh with them, but he did not want this Hayat dunya for them. Why is that? So should we be like that? We have absolutely no dunya and absolutely... You're not them. They're the fountains of his lineage. The fountainhead of his lineage. So if I have now a, one water source and then everyone now comes in with a hose taking that water source back to their families. Right? Is your hose the same as the, the water source? Of course not. If your hose is dirty, only your house will receive dirty water. But if the fountainhead itself is dirty, everyone's going to be dirty. So, so when we read these things, you say, oh, maybe we should live like that. No, you're not them. They are the source. They are the fountainhead of all of Ahlul Bayt thereafter. And Ahlul Bayt are always from the leaders of Islam. If you look in every nation, every Islamic country, and you look at who are the leaders of Islam here, I think maybe the only the Ottoman Empire is not led by Ahl al-Bayt. You go to Egypt and you'll find the greatest shuyukh of every generation. List, give me the top five most important imams, shuyukh, warriors, kings, top five. At least two, three will be from Ahl al-Bayt. Well, this is what the Prophet prayed for. That his lineage and the Qur'an will never separate. Which means in general, not in specific everybody. In general... There will always be from the leaders of the Ummah, from those who are Ahlul Bayt, from Hassan and Hussein. Okay? Continues on that the Prophet ﷺ, this verse of Surah Al Ahzab applied to them. Look at their lives. Look at the price that they paid. But also, you shouldn't say, oh, wow, that's like a grim thing. It's grim because they suffered. Okay? No. They're in the greatest Naeem right now. The Prophet wanted them to have the greatest na'im. So therefore, he, imagine someone, you want him to have the best score on an exam. You don't let him play at all. No breaks, no playing, no sleeping. It's a short test. It's a short study period. Then you take your test and enjoy life after that. Whereas another one, so what's the SAT out of, 1600? All right, if this kid gets 1100, I'll be happy, Right? So study a little bit, sleep a little bit, play a little bit, eat a little bit, study again a little bit, and you're satisfied with that. Okay? But no. The Prophet him, raised the bar for this, these four people. Okay? These four blessed individuals. 
that he wanted zero, no, not a single piece of dunya in their home. Okay? Nor rest. The Prophet ﷺ used to wake up Sayyidina Ali, Sayyidina Fatima for tahajjud. And instead of giving Sayyidina Fatima a servant, he gave her tasbih, dhikr, to do, instead of a servant. 33, subhanAllah, 33, alhamdulillah, 34, Allahu Akbar before sleeping. That's a sunnah for us to do now. He gave it to her. That is better for you than working. Sayyidina Ali walked in on Sayyidina Fatima one time and found, he said, he wrote a line of poetry. He found, he said in this line of poetry, I didn't memorize the Arabic. I found, I came upon a Zahra, the daughter of the Prophet, worshipping Allah with every limb. With every limb worshipping Allah. He said, holding and nursing one baby in one hand, rocking to sleep another baby with another hand, grinding corn with the other hand, and the miswak out of her mouth. Okay. And he said, whoa, and I wish I was that miswak. I wish I could be as close to her as that miswak. That's how they lived. Also so that nobody would ever dare to say and have any evidence to say, here is the Prophet ﷺ and here is his family financially benefiting from his prophecy, from his prophethood. The Prophet ﷺ, neither himself nor his his, his family, these four that we're talking about, ever enjoyed anything of the dunya so that nobody can accuse. In the same way that Allah made the Messenger wasallam unlettered so that nobody says, well, he read the books of other people and he copied them. He learned from other people. No, you can't say that because he didn't read. So, likewise, so that nobody could ever say, that this prophethood was a, was, was a fraud and a scam for the dunya, well, where did, where's the dunya? Where are they enjoying the dunya? Prophet ﷺ walked into the house of Sayyidina Fatima and Hassan and Hussein were there. And he saw upon Hassan and Hussein bracelets of silver before jewelry was made forbidden. He walked in, he walked right out. And he had never done this before to Sayyidina Fatima. And Hassan and Hussein came crying after him. And Fatima, Sayyidina Fatima was surprised. The Prophet never does this. In fact, whenever she walks in the room, the Prophet would stand up. She was so mature for her age that people called her Umm Abiha. As she was six and seven and eight years old and the persecution on her father started, she was the one who would clean it off and take care of the Prophet ﷺ. After the passing of Sayyidina Khadija, the mother has died. Now it's just her, the three sisters and her. The three sisters are older. And it's her. They called her Umm Abiha, the mother of her father, because she would so mature, she would take care of her father. Okay? He would never receive her except by standing and welcoming her and having her sit right next to him. As if she was like a, a luminary uh, from some state, from some government. A queen of sorts. So by him, when he walked out like this, she was shocked. Everybody, Hassan Hussein went crying. They said, Oh, Master of Allah, what is it? He said, I will not enter this house again until this dunya is off of my kids. Take it away. So that no mother could ever look and see Hassan and Hussein. Oh, they have silver bracelets. So our, our family, our sons, went and died in jihad 
Okay? And, and your grandkids are wearing silver bracelets? Nobody could ever say that. Right? SubhanAllah. It said, Hassan Hussein, uh, Hassan said, you can count the many times that my father drank a cold drink. It could be counted. He's, they found him one time drinking a cold drink, said Nadi, and he said, Father, uh, you drink a cold drink? And he said, yes, because I needed to extract the gratitude from my heart. So to enjoy some of this worldly favor so that the gratitude could come out of my heart. This is who we're talking about. Of the scholars of hadith, the one who loved Ahlul Bayt the most was Imam al-Nasai. Sayyidina al-Imam al-Nasai has a book on Ahlul Bayt. Nobody loved Ahlul Bayt more than Imam al-Nasai from the, the imams of hadith. And when the early Muslims are described with tashayyu', it's not a bad thing. It's merely a unique thing that maybe some scholars took offense to, that it's imbalanced because there's an excessive, uh, it's like a noticeable love of Ahlul Bayt. It's not that they were Shia who rejected Abu Bakr and Umar and Aisha. It's impossible. So the early Sunni scholars who are noted in their biographies, he has a little bit of tashayyu', meaning that it was a little bit noticeable that he talks all the time about Ahlul Bayt. And nobody could say that that's wrong, right? It's just, it was noticeable. What was wrong was com- making comparisons, right? Making your own tafdil. That was not accepted. What is accepted as who is the most virtuous of the companions? Why is that not accepted? Why is it not accepted? Somebody say, no, no, the greatest of the Sahaba is Ali. So why is that not accepted? But it is acceptable for Ahl Sunnah to say the greatest of the Sahaba is Abu Bakr. And then Umar, then Uthman, then Ali. Why is one accepted over the other? It's not the conclusion, it's the methodology. What is the Sunni's methodology of saying that the greatest is Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, and Ali? The most virtuous, the one who has gathered the most good qualities. Okay? It's because we do not have a right to compare Sahaba. Only the Sahaba can, can judge amongst themselves. If the Prophet ﷺ has not made a statement about the most virtuous, and there is no such statement from the Prophet ﷺ of who is the most virtuous. There is, if the scale of Abu Bakr was on, Iman of Abu Bakr on one scale, Iman of the Ummah on the other scale, the Iman of Abu Bakr would outweigh it. If there's a Prophet after me, it's Omar. The, uh, of the two lights, if I, the, if I had ten more daughters, I would marry all of them to Uthman. Isn't that a major, a major virtue? That the Prophet would choose you as a son-in-law for his own daughters over everybody else? That is a major uh, a praise. Okay? Nothing that Uthman ever does after this today will harm him. Sayyidina Ali, I'm the city of knowledge and Ali is its door. Even it's a weak hadith, but it's just a virtue. Right? There's no rulings based upon it. I'm the city of knowledge. Ali is if you want to see Sayyidina uh, Nuh in his ibadah, Sayyidina Isa, okay, uh, this hadith, this long hadith that brings the qualities of Sayyidina Nuh and the qualities of Sayyidina Isa in one person, then look at Ali. The best judge of you, Aqdaqum Ali, the best one to pass a judgment is Sayyidina Ali. What, look at all these different virtues. But he never said, who is the one Sahabi who is the most virtuous, who has the most virtues of all? He never said this. So why are we saying it? Because innovators started to make a claim. And they said, from themselves, their methodology was they judged from themselves. 
So we, the scholars of Ahasuerus said, oh, stop there. That methodology is wrong. Remember yesterday, last two days, we've been saying methodology is the most important part of logic. Choose the method by which you arrive at your conclusion. The scholars rejected this method, method that only out of your emotions or from your own selves, even from your own judgments that you judge who is the best Sahabi. So what did they say, or who is the most virtuous Sahabi, what did they say? If the Prophet has not spoken on it, then the only one who can speak about it are the companions. They can judge amongst themselves. Okay? And when they judge amongst themselves, it's by ijma'. How did they judge amongst themselves? Not by words. They didn't go and say, we believe he's most virtuous, by their actions. Who did they select as the Khalifa? At that time, the Khalifa and the most virtuous were not separated. Like today, it's separated, right? Today, you can have the most virtuous man could be a scholar in a little mosque, and the Khalifa could just be the most competent person to run the Khilafah, right? But we say, at that time, or at that time, the Sahaba did not separate between Khalifa, Imam, and the most virtuous. Therefore, there is Ijma' upon Abu Bakr. Then Ijma' Sahaba on Umar. Then Ijma' Sahaba on Uthman. Then Ijma' Sahaba on Ali. Then Ijma' Sahaba on Al-Hasan. Okay. So that is Ijma' Sahaba. There was nobody who spoke out against it. So that's why it is said, Abu Bakr, then Umar, then Uthman. It's not us who said it. It's the ijma' of the Sahaba amongst them, Sayyidina Ali. So now we talk about Sayyidina Al-Husayn, radiallahu anhu. And is it permitted to say, alayhi salam? Not only it's permitted, according to some ulama, mandub. What's the proof? It is mandub, according to some. That for the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi we say, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. For Prophets, alayhi salam. For Ahlul Bayt alayhi salam, for Salaf radiallahu an, and for everyone else rahimahullah. These are prayers after the, for people after they passed away. Because the Salah Ibrahimiyya, Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ali Sayyidina Muhammad, right? Because of that, then it is acceptable to say upon Ahlul Bayt alayhi salam. By the way, alayhi salam is acceptable for anybody. We're just saying as a custom. When I say assalamu alayk, it's the same thing. Alayka salam. So I just said it. So if I was to say Sayyidina al-Hasan, alayhi salam, there's no blasphemy in that. I just said to you guys assalamu alayk. Right? So it's, no, it's, it's just a dua. But as a custom, what is the custom of the ummah is that the Prophet is unique in the phrase sallallahu alayhi wasallam. All right? And then the other prophets after him, alayhi salam. And the other prophets after him, okay, alayhi salam. Uh, sorry, then, the, then Ahlul Bayt, it could be radiallahu anhu or alayhi salam. What about why is Sayyidina Ali sometimes specified with karramallahu wajha? That is because in Damascus, as an attack on Sayyidina Al uh, Hassan, uh, Sayyidina Ali, they would say, sawadallahu wajha. So it is one of the Sahaba who said, uh, sorry, one of the Salaf who changed this. I believe it was Abu Hanifa. Karram Allahu Wajha as a response to that. Uh, guys, we have issues? Everything's on? Yeah. Okay. So Sayyidina Hussein once climbed on the shoulder of the Prophet while the Prophet was in a visit 
with this uh, with 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 this angel. This angel was visiting the prophet. The angel said, "Do you love him?" The prophet said, "Of course, yes." The angel said, "Your followers will later kill him. Muslims will kill him. What kind of bala is this? What kind of tribulation is this?" Imagine you have a little two-year-old. Kids are their cutest between ages one and two. There's no discussion on that, right? When a kid hits one to two, they're the cutest because they start saying words. It's just like they start talking, they start walking. So Hussein was in that age and the Prophet was informed he will be killed. Your own people will kill him. SubhanAllah. The angel said, shall I not show you where he will be killed? The Prophet said, yes. The, the angel waved his hand and showed the Prophet where he will be killed in an area where the soil is red. The soil has a reddish color to it. The sand has a reddish color to it. And according to this narration, he took some of it and put it in a bottle and had Umm Salama put some, some of that soil in a bottle. It is said also, if you want to find hadith on Ahlul Bayt, you go to the Musnad of Imam Ahmad. So many hadith specifically on Ahlul Bayt. And that area was called Karbala, and the Prophet said, Karbun wa bala. Okay. Karbun wa bala. Once, when Sayyidina Ali radiallahu anhu was in Iraq, and he passed by a field of Karbala with a man by the name of Abu Abdullah, Ali, Sayyidina Ali, said, Ya Abu Abdullah, stop here. Okay. Sayyidina Ali said, One day I went to see the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and he was tearing. This is right after he heard the news, the, the news of the future. I asked him, why do you tear in your eyes? He said that Gabriel came to see me, Sayyidina Jibreel, and he told me, Hussein will be martyred near the river Euphrates. He will be martyred by the river Euphrates. And the angel had given him some soil from there. That guest angel had given him some soil from there. In another narration... It, all of this, by the way, from Ibn Kathir. In another narration, it is said that one Sayyidina Ali عنه, was passing by a place and he asked, what is this place? Someone said, Karbala. He sighed and he said, Karb wa bala. And he performed salah there and said that the people will be martyred here, will have the highest state among all martyrs after the companions. And they will enter the paradise without any hisab. While he was there, Sayyidina Ali, he pointed to the place where Hussein would be martyred. The narrator confirms that Imam Hussein was in fact martyred in the exact same spot. Because in that hadith, that martyr, he had with him like an arrowhead. He buried the arrowhead there. Then way later, he came back to that area and found the arrowhead. The Prophet وسلم, said, Hassan and Hussein are my two flowers in this world. Whoever loves them, loves me. Whoever hates them, hates me. That's why this ibadah of today, of loving them, is love of the Prophet He looked towards Al-Hassan, Hussein and Fatima. And he said, who fights you? I will fight him. And whoever loves you, I will love him. So therefore, it's, it is ta'abud, an act of ibadah and deen. To love them. Well, how are we supposed to love them? Well, just by reading about them. 
How else are you going to love someone in history? Just reading about them. Believing what they believed. Supporting what they supported. Hating what they hated. And that includes not showing, you know, uh, not having the same love for those who harm them, such as Yazid and Ibn Ziyad. Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu said, One day the Prophet came to us, and on his shoulder was Al-Hasan, and on the other shoulder, Hussein. On the way to us, we saw that he would kiss Hassan one time and kiss Hussein another time. A man said, Oh, Messenger of Allah, you love them so much. The Prophet said, I love them so dearly. Whoever loves them, I will also love him. And whoever holds a grudge against him, then he in fact holds a grudge against me. I'm telling you, if you loved a woman, let me put it this way because people can relate to loving a woman. Or if you're a sister and Prince Charming comes to propose to you. Oh, lo and behold, Prince Charming has two kids from a previous marriage. Do you love those kids? You want Prince Charming to love you. Or you're marrying, you have this, this beautiful woman, amazing woman. And you're just dying to marry her and live your life with her. And she says, oh, but I come with strings attached. I got two little kids. Immediately, I love those two little kids, you would say, right? You would say that. There's no doubt about that. Okay. Layla ibn Murrah said, the Prophet said that Hussein minni wa ana min Hussein. Or basically, he's part of me and I'm part of him. Who loves him, I love him. Abu Sa'id al-Khudri said, Prophet said, Sayyidina al-Hasan and Hussein are the leaders of the youth in paradise. Rabia ibn Sa'ad narrates that Hussein came into the mosque. Jabir ibn Abdullah the Sahabi said, I have heard the Prophet said, whoever wants to see the leader of paradise should look at Hussein. That hadith, they are the chiefs of the leaders of paradise. Isn't every uh, the chiefs of the youth of paradise? Sorry, they are the chiefs of the youth of paradise. Is not everyone in paradise the youth, right? So therefore, they're the chiefs of everybody. Abu Huraira, the other the other possible meaning is that they are the leaders of those who died as youth and went to paradise. As the Prophet said, that those who are seven who are given shade in the day of judgment are the youth who were raised up on the uh, obedience of Allah. So these are some of, the main, some of the many hadiths on how important it is to have in your heart a love of Hassan Hussein. What does that love mean? If in fact we are so far away from them, we don't know them in history, we've never seen them, how do you love a historical figure? There is the first level of your heart is your mind. And it is to know that I should love them. And that if there's a decision, I'm going to support them. Like, if I'm reading about them, I'm going to sit up and sit with respect. That's how I show my love to them. So the first level of love is not always in the emotions. It's in your mind. It's that I know I should respect them. I know I should love them. I know I should do something that connects me to them. If you persist upon that, then that will enter your heart and you will naturally love them. And Allah will place a love for them there because this is religious love. This is not like love of anything else. This is not like love of another person. You might love another person because they're so uh, good to you. You might love another person because of uh, uh, how they look or how they make you feel. That's natural love. This is religious love. You love them because we're told to love them. If the Prophet hadn't said this, we wouldn't, what would our business be with them? right? What would our business be with people you've never seen? They're from another continent. 
and they're from 1400 years ago. What's your business with them? No business at all, right? Except now that the Messenger has said that he loves them, and we have already attached ourselves to the Prophet, then we love them. And what's our business with the Prophet? Naturally speaking, I went to any man off the street, and you told, you told him, I love a man who lived 1450 years ago, halfway across the planet. He think you're crazy. We say, no, because this is a religious love. It's a spiritual love that Allah places in your heart. Why would I love the Prophet? Because when you examine him and the book that he came with, you know for sure it's from Allah. And every one of us has a natural love for our Creator. So that's the first love of your Creator. That's the natural love. Everyone would love their Creator. You feel your Creator is with you at all times. And then you realize your Creator is pointing you to that Prophet. Now you love that Prophet. First, that love is rational. Then it seeps into your heart. Then Allah Ta'ala places and establishes that love in your heart. Then you love whoever the Prophet told you to love. The Prophet loves Hassan Hussein. We love him then. They love the Sahaba. We love them. They love uh, uh, Abu Dhar. We love them. The Prophet loves his Ummah. We love the entire Ummah. That is a religious love. It's because our Prophet guided us to that. That's why we have it. Now, all of this started, okay, all of this incident of Al Hassan and Hussein, and the, uh, sorry, this uh, Sayyidina Al Hussein, all started upon the death of Al Amir Al Malik Muawiyah ibn Abi Sufyan, ibn Muawiyah ibn Abi Sufyan, his mother, the wife of Abu Sufyan, Hind, the famous Hind who ate the liver. She was a strong woman. She was a kafir. In her kafir, she was strong. She went and ate the liver of another man. This is a strong woman. This is not a joke. Almost you feel bad for Abu Sufyan, right? Man, you better really keep it, keep it up because this is a strong woman. She's not messing around. If you're weak, she'll eat you up. She literally ate him up. She went and ate the liver of Sayyidina Hamza when he was killed. That means she went in, took a knife. Where's Hamza? Show me Hamza. There's Hamza. Cut the liver, took it and ate it with the blood and everything. Some people said because of what she ate, as soon as she ate that, Islam was destined for her. Because she ate the, the, from the blood of a shaheed, right? Anyway, that's just a speculation. But Hind was very strong. Hind did not accept weakness. And she said, she used to tell her son Muawiyah, you will be the king of the Arabs one day. And she used to always say it to him and say it to him and say it to him until it grew in his head and he believed it. It settled in his heart. I'm going to be king one day. One day I'm going to be king of the Arabs. Now, this is so amazing. At that point, nothing could have been further from possibility because the prophethood had not come in his clan. The prophethood had come to Bani Hashim. And the Prophet Muhammad was now the prophet and his father, Muawiyah's father, Abu Sufyan, is his enemy. And then Muawiyah watches as his father gets defeated. Okay? And Muawiyah said, Iman entered my heart when I was a young boy. Iman and the prophet entered my heart. He said, how? So one time there was a sahabi of the prophet that was captured. And this sahabi had killed some important Meccans in the Battle of Badr. Battle of Badr. The Sahabi had killed some very important chiefs. So the sons of those chiefs, they said, we've got him, we're going to kill him right now. We're going to kill the Sahabi. 
So they took the Sahabi out to the desert. They tied him to a pole and they're about to fire arrows at him until they killed him. He began making dua against them, the Sahabi. What did Abu Sufyan do? He took Muawiyah and when he heard the dua, he hid Muawiyah and he put him down. Father, why? So the dua doesn't reach you. Hmm. Then the dua must be true, right? <laughs> why are you worried? And if a Hindu came and said all sorts of gibberish, well, can't care less, right? That's Surah Al-Falaq and you're done with, right? Ikhlas, Falaq, Nas, right? We'll do is enough for you, right? So Muawiyah is smart. You realize, oh, you must believe in it. Secretly you believe in this. Otherwise you wouldn't be worried about this. Dua. So Sayyidina Muawiyah, he grew up watching his father rival the Prophet ﷺ, then watched his father submit to the Prophet, all while believing that Abu Sufyan really does believe in this prophethood. He's just fighting for politics' sake. And he, didn't, he was stubborn. And Abu Sufyan became a Muslim and fought for Islam and lost both of his eyes fighting for Islam. And Sayyidina Muawiyah became a Sahabi and he became the scribe for the Prophet. He was educated. He became the scribe of the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Alright. Time passed and the cousin of Muawiyah is Sayyidina Uthman. Sayyidina Uthman was killed. Sayyidina Ali became the Khalifa. And when Sayyidina Ali became the Khalifa, Muawiyah immediately said, where is the court case against the killers of my cousin, Uthman. Sayyidina Ali said, when I settle the Khilafah down, then we'll take, we'll take them to court. Muawiyah said, no, I don't accept it. And he broke away from Sayyidina Ali. Sayyidina Muawiyah was ruling Syria as a governor. He broke away from Sayyidina Ali. When he broke away from Sayyidina Ali, that was the beginning of what we call the Umayyad Empire. Umayyad is their tribe, Bani Umayyah. So then, five years passed, and the Khilafah still, the Syrians were separate from everyone else. Then the Khilafah went to Al-Hassan. Then Muawiyah and Al-Hassan, they realized there's going to be a massive civil war. It was Sayyidina Al-Hassan who did the good deed to save the Ummah by submitting the Khilafah and saying, Muawiyah, this is not worth all the, body, the lives of Muslims while the enemies of Islam are waiting for us to kill ourselves in a civil war. Then they'll eat up the lands of Islam again. So he gave him the Khilafah. So, so Muawiyah became the Khalifa. But Muawiyah was honest. He said, I cannot rule with the righteousness and the pious rule of Abu Bakr and Umar and Uthman and Ali. I will rule as a king. And he announced, I'm the first king. I'm ruling as a king. That means I'm going to have courtiers, I'm going to have guards, and this is going to go through my family now. Why? Because the Ummah is so big. There's so many, there's so much politics. There's so much administration. This pious way of Sayyidina Umar sleeping under trees and being completely pious and, and trusting people that because they could be trusted. Sayyidina Muawiyah said nobody can be trusted anymore. Can't trust anybody. This is kingdom now. So he did that. When Sayyidina Muawiyah was reaching old age, he felt that he had a premonition that his son Yazid would transform and become very good. His son Yazid was bad. He did not pray, he slept with women, and he drank. Couldn't get any worse than that, right? I mean, by today's standard, he'd be conservative, right? 
<laughs> by today's standard of, of fisk, but by by the standard of the Sahaba, Yazid was just this is this is an unacceptable decision for Muawiyah to say. I believe in the if I give him the Khilafah, he will change. And if not, oh Allah, make his life short. Right? If I'm wrong, then make his life short. Okay. But that didn't cut the damage that Yazid did. So Yazid ibn Muawiyah became the Khalifa. When he became the Khalifa, a letter was sent to Medina. And that letter said, I'm worried about three people. Abdullah bin Umar, Abdullah bin Zubair, and Hussein bin Ali. Three people. So governor of Medina, you are under orders. Gather Al Hussein, Abdullah bin Zubair, Abdullah bin Umar. The three most respected. Who are they? The son of Umar, the grandson of Abu Bakr, and the grandson of the Prophet. The Prophet and Abu Bakr and Umar. Who's the best? They're kids. They're the most pious. They're the most respected. Umar's, Umar's son, Abu Bakr's grandson, and the Prophet's grandson. Okay? So as an honor to these three great, greatest of our ummah, okay, that, he, that Allah made the defense of Islam is in their kids. So immediately, Abdullah ibn Umar, he immediately said, I have no interest in this politics. Okay? Abdullah ibn Zubair and Al-Hussein, they caught up and they said, they looked at each other and they said, let's talk at Dhuhr tomorrow. Now the governor of Medina at that time, he's a pious Muslim, he's scared. He doesn't want to mess around with these. You mess around with these greats, you get struck by lightning. Not messing around with these awliya, Allah, these great sahaba and grandkids of the, sahab, of, of, of the Prophet and Abu Bakr. Now, the Umayyad representative said, don't let them leave this room. If you let these two men, Hussein and Abdullah bin Zubair, if you let them leave this room, you're never going to see them again. It's a trick. He said, yeah, but I can't say no to them. It's Aisha time now. They said, let's meet after Dhuhr tomorrow, fine. They never saw him again. They both went to Mecca. Abdullah ibn Zubair and Hussein ibn Ali, they both went to Mecca. From there, to cut a long story short, Al-Hussein, where were his supporters? Remember, where's the Hussein's origin? Isn't Hussein, didn't he, wasn't he raised in Kufa, Iraq? So his supporters were in Iraq. So he wrote letters to his supporters. Will you support me? We are not accepting this rule of Yazid. It's not acceptable. They said, yes, we will support you. So a few weeks and months passed by, until he amassed the support of the people of Kufa. So he said, okay, we're going to go to Kufa. That left Mecca to whom? Abdullah ibn Zubair. Abdullah ibn Zubair gathered the people of Mecca. Will you support me? Yes, we support you. All right. He becomes the emir of Mecca and it's called the Zubairi Caliphate. He will rule there, Mecca, separated Mecca from the rest of the people and he will rule Mecca for nine years. Before Hajjaj ibn Yusuf kills him. That's Abdullah ibn Zubair. The son of Asma bint Abi Bakr. And Zubair ibn al-Awwam. But before we get to that point, now we have Al-Hussein sends his cousin, Aqil. 
He sends Aqil, uh, Muslim ibn Aqil. Who is Aqil? Aqil is the older brother of Ali. So these are cousins. Muslim, the son of Aqil. Hussein, the son of Ali. He sends Aqil, go and prepare the ground in Kufa for my arrival. So that when I arrive, the army is ready. We're going to fight. Aqil gets there and immediately he gets lost. On the way there, he gets lost. On the way there, they're about to die. And he's saying to himself, this is a disaster. I have a bad feeling about this. So he gets there and when he arrives, all the people think he's Hussein because they don't know what people look like. So they welcome him in and, the, and Aqil now gathers a big gathering in the mosque and in the homes and the governor of Kufa is completely ignored. And Aqil is in charge basically. Until Yazid, he real, Yazid, son of Muawiyah, realizes this governor's weak. Let me send in a gangster. Ibn Ziyad. His name is Ibn Ziyad. Ibn Ziyad, he goes in and he realizes everyone loves Aqil. And everyone's getting ready for Hussein. But what does he know? He knows human psychology. So he stands up and he announces, all of you people, I know you. And I know your tribes. And we're about to send our military to your tribes. So you worried about your tribes? Like, you want to fight me, right? What does the oppressor say? Oh, you want to fight me? Guess what? I'm not going to fight you. But I know you have a nice pretty wife over there. You got a nice little granddaughter over there. You got a nice nephew over there. You want to see him hung? You want to see his nails pulled out one at a time? You want to see him tortured? All of a sudden, hey, I had no business with no revolution. I'm, I'm gone. I'm not revolting. I'm going to protect. Yeah, I'll fight and get myself killed, but I'm not going to get my wife and my kids killed. So what happened? That day, the, all the men of the town were in the mosque supporting Aqil. By Maghrib, there were three men remaining. Ibn Ziyad managed to scare the lights out of everybody. And the people of Kufa turned out to be what they turned out to be, cowards. And Aqil wrote a letter, Oh, Hussein, their tongues are with you, but their hearts are against you. When the push comes to shove, they will not suffer for your sake. So abandon this mission immediately. Well, Ibn Ziyad's no dummy. He intercepts the letter. And he arrests Aqil. Aqil is like hiding in people's homes. He arrests Aqil and he takes the letter out of his hand. And that letter, abandon ship, abandon this mission, never reaches Hussein. And Aqil is killed. Hussein comes, comes up with 72 of his family, his cousins, and, and they arrive not knowing at all what happened? When they arrive, nobody wants to talk to them. As soon as Al-Hussein walks in, he can't, has a, a sack of letters this big. Sacks of letters of support. So he's waiting to be received by his army in Kufa and get ready to work. He goes in there. As soon as people hear that he's, he's here, they all run for their 
their homes, shut the door. We have nothing to do with it. When they hear that he's on the way. And he never even makes it. Ibn Ziyad sends out an army. And he sends the local, what does he send out? The local police force. The little local, local, like in the movies, the little local police, they're like pitiful, right? They don't know anything. So he sends this local police force. Who is the chief of the police? Omar ibn Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas. Omar, the son of Sa'ad, the great Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas, the Sahabi, the guaranteed paradise, who we recite his name, radiallahu ta'ala, Abi Bakr, Omar, Uthman, Ali, wa Sa'ad, wa Sa'id. He's the first after Sayyidina Ali, after the four Khalifas. Wa Sa'ad, wa Sa'id. Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas. His son, he's innocent. He's just the chief of police. But now he's about to be tested big time. He's sent by Ibn Ziyad, stop at Hussein from coming. All right, he's Sayyidina Hussein, but stopping him from passing is not the biggest crime in the world. That's all he's doing. Just stop here. Like putting cones. Sorry, you can't pass here. All right? Nothing like terrible about that at this point. He doesn't know where it's about to go, though. He doesn't know where it's about to go. There, Sayyidina Hussein. We're cutting this real sore for everybody. Sayyidina Hussein says, let's have talks. You're all cutting me off from Kufa. Let's have some talks. And they have talks. They said, all right. All right, you got here before us. Now you brought your army in. Khalas, there's not going to be it. What I'm was going to do here is not going to happen. So let me either have a meeting with Yazid myself to advise him. Or we'll go back. And I will just worship Allah in the mountains. Resign public life. Or... Send me in the military. I'll go fight fi sabilillah all day and all night until I die. So all of this was acceptable to any reasonable person. But Yazid gives Ibn Ziyad the orders. No, none of this. He must be eliminated. He's too powerful. People love him too much. So they trap him. They don't just block him from Kufa. They trap him completely and they reject all of his claims. Now, during this time, Omar ibn Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas is there uh, blocking him off, but they all pray behind him, right? When it's time for Salah, they go pray behind him. And then they go back to blocking him off. Imagine there's like a, a, a hostage situation, and then the police on the outside, the criminals on the inside, right? And the criminals and the police, but they pray together, and then they go back. They pray together, and then they go back. It's an admission. They're all praying behind Hussein. They know who's the most virtuous of all. Okay? So, then, Yazid sends the army. Wait a second. Why send the army? Like 70 people. Most of them are women and kids. Why would you send the army? What kind of intention do you have? And from that army, there's a man by the name of Hur. He's the general. He goes... And he sets up perimeter all around these 72 followers with Al-Hussein. Sets up a perimeter. And Hur now, so the, the authority now is Ibn Ziyad's the governor, Yazid's the Khalifa, Ibn Ziyad's the governor, Omar is the chief of police, and Hur is the head of the army. Okay? Or do I have it backwards that Omar was, Hur is the chief of police and Omar ibn Sa'ad is the chief of the army? I got that backwards. Then the siege continues. Nobody wants to do anything. Who's going to do something against Hussein? So Ibn Ziyad realizes that these people are pious. 
Hur is pious. Umar ibn Sa'd is pious. Nobody's going to do anything. So Yazid sends over a vicious, vicious man. Special ops. Like a person who's sent on a special mission. And that man is named Shimr. Shimr is a vicious man. And he knows nobody's going to do anything. I'm going to do it. And he's the one who initiates the actual aggression, physical aggression upon Sayyidina Hussein and his, and his party. And the night before the battle, and Hussein brings his people inside. And he closes the lamp. And he said, everyone, who, you know what's going to happen tomorrow. Tomorrow, we have an entire army against 72 people. His son, Ali ibn al-Hussein, who has become known as Zain al-Abideen, father of Muhammad al-Baqir, who was the father of Jafar al-Sadiq. This is the son of Zain al-Hussein, his only son, was sick in the back. He turned off the lamps and he said, everyone who wants to leave, you leave with my permission and my blessing. There's nothing against you. You want to save your life. There's nothing wrong with that. Nobody gets up. They all stayed. The women went in one tent and the men came out. They prayed Salatul Fajr. After Salatul Fajr, they see a figure walking towards them. They all pull their swords out. A figure. But his hands are empty. And his knees are shaking. They look. Who's this figure coming towards us? They look and they see it's Hur, the chief of the police. And Hussein says, what is it? Are you here to negotiate? He said, oh Hussein, I'm here to apologize and switch sides. He said, what happened? He said, by Allah, when I saw that this matter is going to reach arms and killing, killing of the grandson of the prophet, I saw in front of my eyes heaven and hell right there. You're going to kill the grandson of the prophet. What happened to you people? Where are your brains? All the while, the people of Kufa are looking from their windows. They're staring from their windows at this whole scene. And they do nothing. Those are going to be the Shia. They feel so guilty. Later on, when they realized they sat and literally watched from their windows the killing of Hussein, then they started to beat themselves later on. It was an old world thing, this idea of beating yourself. So that's where Shiaism started because you feel so guilty about what you did. You should. All day they sat watching from windows what's happening out there and did nothing. That's why this great guilt feeling came upon them so they flagellate themselves later on. And they had many movements. Some of them were righteous movements. The movement, all the penitent, the tawabin, the people make tawbah for having abandoned al Hussein. And then after Fajr, the war ensues. The battle ensues. And Omar, son of Sa'ad ibn Waqqas, he doesn't want to do it. So Ibn Ziyad says, you can do it, or I could kill you. So he does it. He did it. He joined the battle. But as they joined the battle, even the Umayyad soldiers did not want to touch Hussein. They didn't want to do it. It's like we're fighting the edges, the guys around him. But when it came time to Hussein, they're like fighting softly. Until Shimar said, you're all a bunch of cowards. And he went in and he started the, the slashing to Hussein and killing him. So Shimr is he was an albino. He was an albino. 
or he was somebody who had the skin disease where his pigment goes off. That was his mark. It is narrated that the Prophet ﷺ woke up one day and he said, why is it that I have a vision of a white dog sniffing at the blood of my family and that that dog is shimr? And he's the one who did it. So once Al-Hussein was martyred and killed, that night he was buried, and his, but his head was delivered to Yazid. Yazid took the head and put him in front of him, took a miswak and started playing with the lips. Who walks in at that very moment? The old Sahabi, Anas ibn Malik. He's still alive. He said, get your hands off of this head and away from these lips. For I've seen the Prophet kiss his own mouth on those lips. So, time passed and the news spread. And Medina and Mecca became inflamed with civil war. Inflamed with rebellion. And Yazid had to pass, had to send troops down to Medina. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, لَعَنَ اللَّهُ مَنْ أَحْدَثَ فِي الْمَدِينَةِ حَدَثَ The curse of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is upon the one who creates fitna in Medina. Who was a young boy at that time? In Medina? None other than the great scholar who would become one of the greatest scholars of his time, Sa'id ibn al-Musayyib. And Sa'id ibn al-Musayyib was a student of Abdullah ibn Umar at that time. And the army of Yazid came to Medina to quell this rebellion. And they, the soldiers were so impious that they used the mosque of the Prophet as a place to keep their horses. And the people were so scared that everyone stayed home. And the Adhan... The Salah was not established in the mosque of the Prophet ﷺ for three days. Except by one person. Sa'id ibn al-Musayyib. Why did he attain his rank? Because he was a good student. Nobody attains the rank with Allah for being a good student only. It's, there must be some secret piety in your heart. Sa'id ibn al-Musayyib went and he said, I was still a young man. No one suspected anything of me. I pretended to be insane. I pretended to be majnoon. So I could go and establish the Salah in the mosque of the Prophet And the soldiers would let me through because they think I'm just someone insane. But before I could call the Adhan, I heard the Adhan coming from the grave of the Prophet So Sa'id ibn al-Musayyib established the Salah. And because of this, perhaps, Allah made him the most knowledgeable and the greatest of the second generation Muslims. Tabi'in. They did their war on Medina and they quelled the rebellion of Medina then they moved on to Mecca they moved on to Mecca and, but they could not Sa'id uh, Abdullah ibn Zubayr stopped them and Yazid died so when Yazid died they pulled the troops back and they went all back up to Syria and that allowed Abdullah ibn Zubayr to establish his Khilafah in Mecca for another nine years until way later Hajjaj ibn Yusuf came and killed him. That's the summary of what happened in Karbala and culminates on the 10th of Muharram. 
the actual killing, murdering of Sayyidina Al-Hussein happens in on the 10th of Muharram. Any questions? How did um, Mam Zain al-Abidin survive? Ali Zain al-Abidin survived by being sick and not being part of the war. He was sick and he was in the back. They left him. The Husseini lineage comes from one person, Ali Zain al-Abidin. Meanwhile, Al-Hasan had 16 boys. So the great-grandchildren of the males of the Prophet ﷺ, directly from Sayyidah Fatima, are 17 males. 16 from Hassan, one from Hussein. And because Sayyidina Al-Hasan abdicates the Khilafah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rewards him with his grandson being Al-Mahdi. So Al-Mahdi is from the lineage of Al-Hasan. According to the Shia, they say, no, Al-Mahdi is from the lineage of Al-Hussein. We say, it could be that he's from the lineage of Al-Hasan by his father and Hussein by his mother. Right? Because there's nothing, uh, logically, it doesn't negate what the Prophet said. That from Al-Hasan's lineage will come the, the Imam who will unify this Ummah again. As Al-Hasan gave up the Khilafah to unify the Ummah, Allah will give him a son who will unify the Ummah by taking the Khilafah. And that's Sayyidina Al-Hasan and Hussein. Yazid died within the first year after that. One or two years, they had the invasion of Medina. So after they killed Al-Hussein, Medina, they rebelled. Mecca rebelled. He went and he quelled the rebellion in Medina. And then he went to quell the rebellion in Mecca, but he died. So he went. So it's probably he died one or two years after this. And Imam Ahmed was asked, should we curse Yazid because of what he did? He said, why would you need to curse him when Allah and his messenger already cursed him? They said, where is the curse of Allah and his messenger on Yazid? He said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala curses when whoever kills without haqq. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa said, May the curse of Allah be upon the one who, who incites a fitna inside Medina. That was his answer. Hajjaj ibn Yusuf. Hajjaj ibn Yusuf? Yeah. Like, was he part of this? Or? No, he was young at that time. Hajjaj ibn Yusuf came later. Yeah. He became the ruler a couple years later. And he became ruler, governor of Iraq. He became really the de facto ruler of the Bani Umayyah. He did all their dirty work. And he ruled well. But, of course, he was vicious. Like, he ruled well. And I say he ruled well, he was competent. But he was vicious. He killed so many people. And uh, he's, he's considered by us to be the first like, absolute tyrant of Islam. Yazid made a big mess, but he died quickly. So he does, there's no legacy of how he ruled for Yazid. This is one or two years, that's it. But Hajjaj ruled for a long time. And he killed Sahaba. He killed Sahaba. Elderly Sahaba hanging from the Kaaba. Like he has no... Hajjaj ibn Yusuf. Hajjaj Yusuf has no... Uh, so what was his end? Huh? What was Hajjaj ibn Yusuf's end? Very bad. Very bad. Uh, asking, uh, what is that book? Uh, this book is 
a collection of Ibn Kathir's history on Karbala. I have it as my own notes, but I can send it to people. I could try. I should. I could try to put it up as a link. I have to make it a PDF. Like but it. Yeah, my own like clippings from the incidents of Ibn Kathir and also Ibn Al-Athir. There's two different historians. Subhanallah. So you see the Ahl al-Bayt, Ahl al-Bayt al-Nubuwa, and the, uh, the lineage of Abu Bakr and the lineage of Umar. Allah has blessed them. And Abu Bakr and Sayyidina Abu Bakr's lineage, as well as the Prophet's grandson, they're the ones who pushed back at a time when, no, when nobody else was pushing back. What is today's date of Muharram? Today of Muharram is the 5th. It is the 5th of Muharram today. That means the 10th will be Monday. So you have the reward of Monday fast plus the reward of fasting Muharram. maximum may Allah forgive him because his action was not pleasing and he died upon those actions there is Yazid ibn Abi Sufyan that's a different that's the older brother of Muawiyah that's a different person he was righteous Yazid ibn Muawiyah is different there's two Yazids Yazid ibn Abi Sufyan he has none of he's not part of this then there's the Yazid ibn Muawiyah okay okay alright fine you want to say radiallahu anhu let someone come and kill your kid and you say radiallahu anhu. Just isn't the, does not the Prophet وسلم, The Prophet وسلم, is more worthy of you, of everything about you, your loyalty, your love, your compassion, than your own self. Why is that objectively factual statement? Without the Prophet, would be would be guided or misguided? We'd be misguided. We'd be in misery in this life and misery in the next. So the Prophet ﷺ is the one who Allah uses for our eternal, our temporary and our eternal happiness. So it's fair to say, The Prophet is more worthy than their own selves. So fine. If a Muslim comes and beheads your grandson... And you will have it in your heart to say, I don't know what's in his heart. Then fine. If you do that, then you can say, Then you also need mental help at the same time. So that's why the best answer to this is, would you accept it for yourself? Right? SubhanAllah, a person will do far less to you, far less. If I was to key your Tesla, right? If I was to key it, from the back light all the way to the front light. You wouldn't even say radiallahu anhu if I died. Right? You wouldn't pray for me if I died. Okay? I don't know. Khuruj? Khuruj? Sometimes it's permissible. Yes. And even if khuruj is not permissible, okay? Here's a question for you. Sayyidina al Hussein, is he muqallid or mujtahid? Az. Muqallid or mujtahid? Muqallid. 
سيدنا الحسين is a mujtahid what is a mujtahid mujtahid is the one who knows the exceptions of the laws and he can give fatawa on the exceptions of rules right a mujtahid can tell you this is haram but for you because of your situation it's halal right even is fard right the mujtahid can tell you that if I skip Jum'ah because I walked to Jum'ah right Prophet never rode a car. I walked to Jummah. Is my missing Jummah valid or invalid? It's invalid, right? So, was, so what is the rule then? It's wajib for me to use my car. It's obligatory to use your car to go to attend to an obligation because otherwise the obligation would never get done. So therefore, Sayyidina al-Husayn, even if the Prophet ﷺ put the rule that khuruj is invalid, impermissible, we, we don't rebel against the leaders. Let's hypothetically say that's the, that's the law. And full stop, absolute, no doubt about it. No question. Well, the mujtahid is the one who knows the exceptions, right? And Sayyidina al-Husayn is a mujtahid. He's a mujtahid. And he deemed it to be an exception. And the other sahaba like Abdullah bin Umar, it is true that it is said... Yes, that they said don't go out. They said don't go out not as fiqh, but as concern for him. That the people of Kufa, they won't accept, they won't support you. We know them. Love Jerusalem, you can ask your question here as long as it's connected to this topic. Because today we're not leaving the topic and we're inshallah going to go straight to our dua. It's not a, a topic or a day for, for bantering around. Khuruj an al-Hakim is to rebel against the leader. Ibn Hajar al-Asqalani says only if the leaders of the, of, the, of the country are able to guarantee a transfer of power without chaos, then khuruj is valid for them. They could replace that leader. Okay. Can we name our children Levi? No. Well, because we might think he's a Jew and he'll no, nobody will marry him. He's a secret Jew. Sorry to say that, but... So you don't want that. Levi, one of the sons of Aaron through, through whom the prophecy went. Levi. And read your Palestinian, so what's going on here? Well, of course, Lawa is a mu'min, right? Lawa is a mu'min. He's not from the Yahud uh, who uh, went against the truth. He was a mu'min salih. What about the narration that Yazid ibn Muawiyah was part of the first attempted conquest of Constantinople and the Prophet had guaranteed whoever attends that will be a martyr? Can you wear Levi jeans? Levi jeans? Yes, inshallah, you can wear Levi jeans. So many of the major companies. Have been founded by. Uh, Yehud. And trade with them is valid. Yeah, and it's not. Unless they are. Directly putting off. You think they have to the Zionist cause. Or something like that. Then maybe there's a dif difference. Alright let's now. 
Hamza said, oh, Anjum has his own fatwa. He says, don't wear Levi's. That's his, that's his opinion, which is uh, not a fatwa, just his opinion. Fine, don't wear Levi jeans. Who are you going to wear? Calvin Klein, another Yehudi. Uh, who else? Tommy Hilfiger, Yehudi. Ralph Lauren, Yehudi. Really? They have people of great achievements of the last century, if you want to call that stuff as achievements. Yeah. In the, it is a worldly achievement for sure. Uh, there is a document by the ulama al-Azhar stating that the head of al-Hussein is in Egypt. It's, there's documents. I need to get my hands on that document. But two ulama of Azhar for about 300 years ago, they did dig that area up and they did see a, um, a head in perfect tact, soft. I thought it was well known. Um, yeah, there's a document too. I, want, I need to get my hands on that document. Maybe Sheikh Zuhair knows about it. Because they say that there's a certain time of the week mm-hmm. where um, I think that this is the story of one of Imam Dardir's, either their students, Sheikh Murad was telling us, where um, he kept having dreams of the Prophet mm-hmm. saying, go, why don't you visit us anymore? And he gave an excuse or something. He thought that uh, along the lines of, oh, like, you should go to Medina. Yeah. And it was clarified to him. I, I'm not sure. I don't want to misquote anything. But I think in the dream, the Prophet said, no, the uh. time where you go, because it said that like there's a special time of the week where the ulama they know that where the like the maqam of Sayyidina Hussein is that the Prophet like he, he visits at that time. Rajib subhanAllah. This is Barzakhi knowledge. Yeah. And it's known well known by the the scholars. There. SubhanAllah Rajib. We have to ask about that. Um because Imam al Darajir he does he's not into khurafat. If he says something like that it'll be true. Yeah. Now uh Again, about the shoes, it is permissible for a Muslim to play, pray with shoes because the Yahud and the, the Jews and Christians would take their shoes off. So the Prophet said, you may pray with your shoes on. So to, to always be a little bit different. Um, I'll take only one question today. We forgot the sacrifice and immense great service of Sayyidina al-Hasan. Yeah, earlier on, maybe we weren't on, but we talked about how he gave up the Khilafah to unify the Ummah. All right, let us now turn to our dua because today is a day where it is Yom Al-Arbi'a. And remember, we are off for from tomorrow and the rest of next week. Um, we're off for tomorrow and the rest of next week. And then we're back for a week and a half. Then we're off again at the end of August. So it is a spotty month of August, but we do. Uh, it is the only time where we can actually take breaks and do the business that we need to do abroad or overseas or with our families. So that's why the month of August is a bit spotty. Uh, the month of August, July and August has been pretty fun with all the kids out of school and, and, and basically like a bull in a china shop in the chat, in the chat box. It's, it's been pretty wild in the chat box. Uh, probably uh, my guess is all the kids that are out of school. But now that kids can take their cell phones in school, we may, uh, uh, they may uh, continue. Uh, the sister says, I have a question of urgency, so type it in here. Uh, she said it twice, I think. Love Jerusalem. Type it in here if you have a question of urgency. Okay, you have 30 seconds before we go to the du'a.
All right, let's go to our dua and hit. Okay, she did put the question. I have a friend who has cancer. Final stages. It's very sad. Today, they said the shahada, but I'm only Muslim friend he has. Subhanallah, that is an urgent question. His family is arranging a cremation. You, oh, subhanallah, that's really rough. That's really rough. If he could possibly tell his family, I don't know if it's just, he became a secret Muslim, but if he could possibly tell his family that he doesn't want to be cremated, just that. Don't go to the point of Islamic funeral because that's you're probably asking too much if they don't know he became Muslim, but he should put in his uh, will, ask him to put in his will, I don't want to be cremated. That's all you can do. By saying shahada, maybe she means he passed away already. Did he already pass away? If he already passed away, then you can just try to tell them, please don't cremate him. Uh, that's a tough situation. Right. His family was there for his becoming Muslim, and if he took the shahada and he was able to utter with his mouth the shahada, then tell him, have him say it. Have him say that he doesn't want to be cremated. If he can't speak or he has passed away already, then you say it. All you can do is try to fight it. Okay? And try to make, make him say that he doesn't want to be cremated. Right? So try to do that and have him, if he can text his family, if he could say it in any way, shape, and form, or tell a lawyer, or have it his will, and keep saying it over and over so that they could uh, uh, avoid cremating him. I hope that helps. May Allah Ta'ala give you the tawfiq. Uh, and, and success to make him not be cremated that would be a great hasana and good deed for you to do if you're able to do that Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim Inna fatahna laka fatham mubina liaghfira laka Allahu ma taqaddama min dambika wa ma taakhar wa yutimma ni'matahu alayka wa yahdiyaka siratam mustaqima وينصرك الله نصرا عزيزا وكان عند الله وجيها وجيها في الدنيا والآخرة ومن المقربين وجهت وجهي للذي فطر السماوات والأرض بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم نصر من الله وفتح قريب وبشر المؤمنين يا أيها الذين آمنوا كونوا أنصار الله كما قال عيسى بن مريم للحواريين من أنصاري إلى الله قال الحواريون نحن أنصار الله الله لا إله إلا هو الحي القيوم لا تأخذه سنة ولا نوم له ما في السماوات وما في الأرض ما الذي يشفع عنده إلا بإذنه يعلم ما بين أيديهم وما خلفهم ولا يحيطون بشيء من علمه إلا بما شاء وسع كرسيه السماوات والأرض ولا يؤده حفظهما وهو العلي العظيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم لو أنزلنا هذا القرآن على جبل لرأيته خاشعا متصدعا من خشية الله وتلك الأمثال نضربها للناس لعلهم يتفكرون هو الله الذي لا إله إلا هو عالم الغيب والشهادة هو الرحمن الرحيم هو الله الذي لا إله إلا هو الملك القدوس السلام المؤمن المهيمن العزيز الجبار المتكبر سبحان الله عما يشركون هو الله الخالق البارئ المصور له الأسماء الحسنى يسبح له ما في السماوات والأرض وهو العزيز الحكيم 
وعيد النفس بالله تعالى من كل ما يسمع بأذنين ويبصر بعينين ويمشي برجلين ويبطش بيدين ويتكلم بشفتين حصنت نفسي بالله الخالق الأكبر من شر ما أخف وأحذر من الجن والإنس وأن يحضرون عز جاره وجل ثناؤه وتقدست أسماؤه ولا إله غيره اللهم إني أجعلك في نحور أعدائي وأعوذ بك من شرورهم وتحيلهم ومكرهم ومكائدهم أطفئ نار من أراد بعداوتم من الجن والإنس يا حافظ يا حفيظ يا كفي يا محيط سبحانك يا رب أعظم شأنك وأعز سلطانك تحصنت بالله وبأسماء الله وبآيات الله وملائكة الله وأنبياء الله ورسل الله والصالحين من عباد الله حصنت نفسي بلا إله إلا الله محمد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم اللهم احرسني بعينك التي لا تنام واكنفني بكنفك الذي لا يرام وارحمني بقدرتك علي فلا أهلك وأنت ثقتنا ورجاؤنا يا غياث المستغيثين يا غياث المستغيثين يا غياث المستغيثين يا درك الهالكين يا درك الهالكين يا درك الهالكين اكفني شر كل طارق يطرق بليل أو نهار إلا طارق يطرق بخير إنك على كل شيء قدير بسم الله أرقي نفسي من كل ما يؤذي ومن كل حاسد الله شفائي بسم الله رقيت اللهم رب الناس أذهب الباس اشفي أنت الشافي وعافي أنت المعافي لا شفاء إلا شفاءك شفاء لا يغادر السقم ولا ألم يا كافي يا وافي يا حميد يا مجيد ارفع عني كل تعب شديد اكفني من الحد والحديد والمرض الشديد والجيش العديد واجعل لي نورا من نورك وعزا من عزك ونصرا من نصرك وبهاء من بهائك وعطاء من عطائك وحراسة من حراستك وتأييدا من تأييدك يا ذا الجلال والإكرام والمواهب العظام أسألك أن تكفيني من شر كل ذي شر إنك أنت الله الخالق الأكبر وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وآله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا طيبا مباركا فيه والحمد لله رب العالمين ظاهرا وباطنا وعلى كل حال We'll do a silent dua for a few minutes We make dua on Wednesdays between Dhuhr and Asr On the hadith of Jabir ibn Abdullah Who stated that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam Once made dua on Monday between Dhuhr and Asr Then on Tuesday between Dhuhr and Asr Then on Wednesday between Dhuhr and Asr And only on Wednesday was his dua answered And the sign of ijabah came to him And the Prophet became very happy And that ijabah was a major ijabah Which was the victory at the battle of Al-Khandaq The battle of the trench In which 10,000 pagans had surrounded the mosque of the, uh, the city of Medina Jabir ibn Abdullah said Then any time after that That I needed something from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala I would go I would wait till Wednesday between Dhuhr and Asr and I would make dua there intensively and I would oftentimes see the sign that Allah has accepted my prayer. So that is one unique feature of this dua at this time is that you may receive a sign that your answer will be, your dua will be answered. We'll take a silent dua for a few minutes. Bismillah.
Sallallahu barak ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun Wa salamun ala al-mursaleen Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen